thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hello there. Hola. (laughs) Good morning, good evening, good day, wherever you are in the world. Welcome and thank you for joining us. You're here with the Wellness Women Radio team. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we are really keen today to talk about this topic because uh, it's certainly something that has come up through listener questions and through uh, our own practitioner experience uh, over a decade. But, you know, together we've been in practice so many years. You you were down absolutely bound to find uh, this come up in practice on a regular basis. And this particular topic is such an interesting one um, for a couple of different reasons. Um, it's one that brings with it a lot of burden, uh, not just of the person suffering with it, but also of friends and family and connections around that person, because it seems to impact the lives of many people when someone suffers with what we're going to talk about today, and that is chronic f- fatigue. Um it's a big topic, so we're going to try and keep it really simple. We're going to talk a about some of the key things that I guess the risk factors that lead to the pathway towards this, you know, systemic breakdown in the body, mind, um, you know, sort of brain, gut, body axis, you know, hypothalamic, pituitary, adrenal axis. There's quite a few different pathways in which, you know, we can lead to this problem. And then, of course, some of the things that are conventionally done for chronic fatigue and, of course, some of the things that you actually have control of. Because anyone who's dealt with this uh, condition or is experiencing this condition realizes there is nothing simple about it. Mm. And it is completely debilitating. Um, and I think one of the challenging things and must be a frustrating thing for anyone who has experienced chronic fatigue um, is that the condition itself is not only tricky to identify and certainly treat, but its existence within the medical community is somewhat controversial as well because there aren't always those really predictable um, and I guess objective findings, which is why I think for a long time, medically speaking, it probably hasn't been as recognized as what it should have been. Um, and it hasn't been until you know the last few years that there was actually a clinical um, diagnosis or um like a way of clinically evaluating the condition and uh, just now it has um, been given a new name as well that I think is better fitting for it too. Yeah, absolutely. And look, in terms of what um, the science is saying about it, it's quite a few different things coming up. There's some saying there's absolutely unknown uh, etiology, meaning they're not sure about the pathways of development. Then there's mm-hmm. other groups that are saying, yes, look, if you look down this pathway and consider the uh, neuroendocrinal conditions that lead to this, we certainly can start to see the pathway and the causes. And that's what led mm-hmm. to the Institute of Medicine uh, proposing a new name in 2015, which they've called systemic exertion intolerance disease. And I think that's a really interesting, uh, more fitting of this 
is chronic fatigue because generally speaking, if you're to be diagnosed with chronic fatigue, we need to have this um, excessive fatigue state for more than six months. And mm-hmm. unfortunately for you know the people who've experienced this or are experiencing this, often they've been bounced around. Um, I mean, I know I've certainly heard people being told they've just got a virus. Um, I've been heard many things like you're just overworking, you're working too hard. Um, also things like, for example, um, being told it's a form of depression. There's all mm-hmm. sorts of diagnoses or misdiagnoses that uh, have led to, you know, someone finally 6, 12, 18 months later uh, getting a categorization um, defined by some of that major uh, criteria, which is chronic severe fatigue uh, for at least six months with no other underlying sort of causes to be identified easily. And yeah, I yeah. think if we consider it a disease state, meaning it's a process, then that's what gives us the opportunity to look back through the different body systems and figure out where the cascade of events may or may not have happened in order to help someone heal and correct that imbalance. I love what you said there, Ash, about the imbalance. And even though um, it is a a disease state and it has been given that new name, that systemic um, exertion intolerance disease, um, I think that the chronic fatigue syndrome, I think, is almost um, like a more optimistic kind of term because it is a syndrome, meaning there are a a group of symptoms, which we'll go through in a moment, that fit in with a pattern. But we know that this is a body that's out of balance. This is not something that is a normal process. Um, And also there should be some sort of underlying factor or causation that we should be able to get to the bottom of. Um, And just for, you know, your your own benefit, um, if you're listening, this is also chronic fatigue is also um, termed myalgic encephalopathy um, just for your own benefit. So what we're looking for is um, this is like a clinically evaluated, unexplained, persistent and or relapsing fatigue, um, like you said, Ash, that, that lasts usually for typically more than six months. Um, usually they'll say that there's a new or there's a definite onset. So there may be some sort of trigger that people are able to relate it back to. Um, and it may or may not be the uh, the result of ongoing exertion. So, you know, when someone says, oh, you're just too busy or you're working too much, it's not the result of that. It's not alleviated by rest. So just going and getting a good night's sleep is not necessarily going to fix it. Um, and it does result in substantial um, reduction in, you know, your activities or your, your function at work, at school, in your social life, your personal activities, those sorts of things. Um, and also the other diagnostic criteria that they use is that, you need to have four or more of the following symptoms that persist and reoccur and give you that kind of chronic illness, um, I guess, template. And that is um, impairment of your short-term memory and your concentration. Some viral symptoms that include things like a sore throat or tender cervical or axillary lymph nodes, so lymph nodes in your neck and your upper chest, um, diffuse muscular pain. It could be multi-joint pain without redness or swelling, so we know that there's not like an infectious process happening there. Uh, it can be headaches that are of a new pattern of severity, completely unrefreshing sleep, and definitely that post-exertional malaise that lasts for about 24 hours or more. Um, so that is if you do try and do any kind of physical activity um, or there is any of that exertion, you get that really severe fatigue that's debilitating for a period more than 24 hours. Um, that all sounds pretty horrible. 
Absolutely. And look, it's so relevant because unfortunately, this is something that um, statistically speaking has been diagnosed in women four times more often than it is in men. So this is incredibly a, uh, a female relevant condition. It just seems to be something that the female body um, and mind has more trouble with or it's more often diagnosed in. So yeah, look, this is a very good chance that yourself or someone you know is going to have experienced this or will experience this. And so the more you know about it, the better you can can possibly predict or see some of the uh, risk factors that lead Mm -hmm. down this pathway, some of the warning signs. And if that's, you know, if you're on that pathway, you can at least then possibly address some of the environmental lifestyle factors that could head down that pathway a lot faster. Now, not because it's still unknown diagnostic criteria in some degree, degree of you know medical disagreement on all of this some people say it's genetically predisposed some studies say that you know there's um abnormal methylation pathways and that was a genetic thing and there's lots of different controversy on this so if you've had this problem i'm sure you've done the research (laughs) you know you've probably spent months weeks and years looking into this stuff because it is something that's so debilitating um Sadly as well, unfortunately, people with chronic fatigue syndrome are more likely to have severe developing depression with suicidal tendencies. So this is a real deal. This is something that is not just uh, life affecting, it's also potentially life altering. So we do want you to take into consideration some of the reasons how this comes about, um, some of the warning signs, and then some of the things you might be able to do that. So, look, I really think for when someone's saying, oh, look, I'm just really tired all the time, we firstly got to assess whether or not it's just tiredness from day-to-day life. So, for example, not managing your state and your environment correctly. For example, going to bed too late, um, not getting enough rest and recovery as appropriate, not eating appropriately, poor nutrition, poor, you know, dietary choices, um, even possibly looking at things like medications. Now, how many of you, if you're on a medication long term, have actually looked at the packet and considered the possibility that fatigue is one of the most common side effects of taking a pharmaceutical medication? So, you know, this is something that's often overlooked and people who are on long-term medications sometimes are missing the fact that the medication is responsible for their chronic fatigue state. Um, not the, not the condition chronic fatigue, but this fact that it in a state of ongoing persistent fatigue. And it's quite simply because of the pharmacology that is going into their body on a daily basis. So there's a lot of different factors that could give you a, a, an impression of chronic fatigue, but it's really the debilitating condition that is the one we're talking about today. So this is not just a state of um, persistent tiredness. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, um, Ash, let's talk about some of the some of the things that can lead to it or cause it or contribute to chronic fatigue. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there is quite a few different mechanisms that have been theorised, um, particularly in the functional medicine space, as to the things that lead to chronic fatigue. Um, so these are things like the first thing I would look at would be nutritional imbalances. Mm-hmm. So are there intolerances and allergies that are going on that's creating um, you know, a really disrupted state in the system? Absolutely with hormonal imbalances as well. And as soon as you're looking at the body's energy system, you need to be looking at obviously the gut, but that HPA, that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, because from my experience that people who have chronic fatigue syndrome will usually be able to tell me a sometimes classic 
sort of uh, like pre-workup to the onset of the chronic fatigue of, and again, this is with women, maybe certain types of hormonal imbalances are happening pre-fatigued state with that uh, like extreme exertion. So very stressful job, um, maybe trying to overdo things on lots of different platforms, including exercise. Um, and then we're getting to, into that fatigue state, still pushing it. Sometimes there was a uh, infection or an illness or a trauma that then was kind of the catalyst that really um, they sort of can pinpoint the timing around the when the chronic fatigue really, really started. Um, so I think that for a lot of people there are warning signs before that, but then there's some sort of trigger as well. So generally you found that it's things like that are particularly cortisol stressing, so your, your yeah, HPA axis, totally. your hypothalamic pituitary totally. adrenal axis, um, so yeah. that excessive demand on cortisol production and utilisation. And also um, I think you've probably found it as well, frequently involved with cascades of thyroid imbalances. You know, when women are dealing totally. with thyroid yeah. dysfunction, these are some of the classic sort of warning signs and really – um, early stage signs that the body's under an extreme state of stress. And therefore, mm-hmm. when you're under an s- extreme state of stress, your capacity to adapt to more stressful environments or situations is incredibly limited. And that's that you were talking about, Andrea, is that tipping point that, for example, an ex- a stressful event or, you know, a major crisis or a virus or a bacteria or an illness that tips the balance. And of course, then the body goes into default mechanism shutdown. Yeah, exactly. Almost sort of protective state because when it shuts you down and puts you horizontal and lies you down in bed, you're under the least metabolic demand. Um, It's got every chance to survive at a cellular level, which is what Mm -hmm. you have been depleting so considerably. Um, So that's if you understand the mechanism, you know, why would your body do that? Why would it shut you down like that? It's really a survival mechanism. And this is where we need to move you out of that state of survival, um, which in this case is a very uh, cyclic, uh, state you can't get out of these because most people say well, we'll do some exercise it'll you know ramp up your um <laughs> your it'll mitochondria your yeah, it'll, it'll yeah. make your mitochondria work better and all that but it, it, unfortunately you're already at a state of depletion so there's not much more you can can stress the system with including exercise it's not going to help so these are uh, exactly. generally and particularly um particularly if there's other co um coexisting um i guess morbidities that go with this for example like if there's infections Um, and I know that a lot of women have found that their chronic fatigue syndrome has been initiated by um, like a post-viral state or Mm. it can be an immune dysregulation as well so no amount of exercise (laughs) is going to bring you out of like a a post-viral fatigue state or get you out of that immune dysregulation. If anything, it's going to exacerbate that. And the other compounding factor that I've found is also toxic overload. Um, so all sorts of different things from, you know, all your xenoestrogenic um, things that are around your household from personal care products um, to things like molds and other like household contaminants as well. Um, I have had patients who've moved into brand new houses and got into that sort of chronic fatigue state just from the kind of toxic overload that they've had on their system from that brand new house as well. and have also noted things like uh, patients who will be walking through the perfume counter of, say, a department store, and that has 
exacerbated fatigue states for them as well. Why do you why do you think that is? Why do those sort of noxious, uh, I guess, environmental stressors have that capacity to tip? It's because it can sort of they can transcend the 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 brain's barriers. So is that ability to really trigger that blood brain barrier issue? I, I think it's a few things. I think that when you have that toxic overload, it really impairs your detoxification capacity. And also we know that a lot of those toxins are um, competing for receptor sites on cells. So I, I'm just thinking that, of how that mechanism would actually lead to fatigue. But one, we know that it's going to affect how your body actually detoxifies. So when you've got that toxic burden, then your body is going to put you into a state to try and mitigate that as best it can. So, you know, slowing down all those functions. But also if those individual toxins are actually, um, you know, competing for those receptor sites on cells, then you're not going to have that same, like, energy transference does that kind of make sense ash absolutely yeah that yeah. totally makes sense i think That's this is you know a classic the best way i can describe it <laughs> yeah. and described it in that way is really important too because what you've described there Andy, is how you anything that impairs your body's ability to self-regulate is going to make you susceptible and more at risk to exactly. chronic fatigue uh situation the big one that we go back to, and I think, you know, it's becoming more and more relevant because functional medicine and the research is just becoming uh, something that's indisputable in regards to why and how this is such a big issue. But anytime you have gut problems with damaged intestinal lining, um, you're going to start to create a decreased resistance in the body, mm -hmm. an increase in systemic inflammation because of yeah. that uh, out-of-control immune response. And when you have a look at the studies, there's certainly uh, some studies, one in the Journal of Affective Disorders, talking about a link between intestinal permeability, which is that concept of leaky gut, um, mm -hmm. to chronic fatigue. And then you start to talk about other, you know, comorbidity issues such as like candida overgrowth. Um, and now we're starting to see a very damaged, very sick, very leaky system. And that's also partly why the body can't rebuild itself, can't repair and can't move you out of this state of chronic fatigue. So if you are yeah, suffering, exactly. yeah, if you're suffering with this and you have not done the work, for example, proper blood works, proper uh, gut assessment possibly through, you know, some DNA assessment of gut microflora, um, stool sampling, that sort of thing, then there's some big gaps uh, in your, I guess, diagnostic criteria at the moment because anytime those tests are abnormal or dysfunctional, uh, then there's areas in which you've still got hope to be able to improve your body. Yeah, and Ash, it's interesting what you just said about the, the microbiota because um, there is a study that was just published literally three days ago um, from the uh, Clinical Science Journal. I will post a link to this online because it's a really interesting concept and it's um, questioning whether the microbiome contributes to myalgic encephalopathy or chronic fatigue syndrome. And from what they're describing in this study so far, and I need to pilfer through the whole lot of it and evaluate it, but I'll put the link up so you can do that for yourself as well, um, is looking at how maybe a dysbiotic state, so like a poor balance of, say, the microbiome is actually 
contributing to or um, actually um, manifesting into chronic fatigue syndrome. Isn't that fascinating? And I'm really, really interested to see how the research um, like matches up to this as well. Fascinating. And look, we can pull out endless, re- I guess, research articles to this too, because I've even something seen uh, an extract here out of um, uh, PubMed looking at how there is, um, I mean, to quote this, chronic inflammation together with raised levels of oxidative stress and mitochondrial dysfunction has been increasingly associated with the manifestation of symptoms such as pain, fatigue, impaired memory, and depression, which largely characterize patients suffering from CFS and fibromyalgia. Bam. So go figure. Everything yeah. that they're just describing there is the kind of mechanisms that we've just talked about. So, yeah. for example, like the toxin exposure, the um, oxidative stress, like, you know, the whole work. So um, I think that, that that's a pretty good summary. So the things that in, in summary, the primary mechanisms that we're looking at are nutrient imbalances, hormonal imbalances, infections, immune dysregulation, and toxic overload. Those are, I think, think I've sort of subcategorized the majority of the things into those categories. Um, and I would certainly be making sure that you are working with a really excellent functional medical practitioner who can go through each of those mechanisms with exhaustive testing to get to the bottom of it. Um, all right. So let's talk about some things to help to rebuild that energy system. Um Ash, are you are you happy to go there? Should we should we talk about that now? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think you know you can't talk about something called chronic fatigue syndrome um, or chronic fatigue you know conditions without talking about how to deal with stress. Yeah, and this is one of the you know most important starting points, and this is also why sometimes people who have been diagnosed with this condition are sent off to psychologists, psychotherapists, um, and other people dealing with the the mindset, because stress is a catalytic process in the sense that it's what's burning out your cortisol production. Um, some of the studies are also showing that. If you have like a blunted HPA axis activity, reduced cortisol secretion, because obviously you've been burning things out for a long time, then that's also another like pathogenesis, another pathway for this condition. Mm -hmm. So you've got to deal with stress the perception of stress. And I say stress in terms of the mental stress Mm -hmm. because stress is a perception. And this is where a lot of people find it hard to take responsibility for their experience of stress because, for example, Andrew, you and I can be in the same situation. We can both be standing in a set of traffic lights and an out-of-control car can come around the corner and almost clip us. And I go, whoa, that was close and go, okay, like, you know, my lucky day. Thanks, universe. That was really fortunate. You could have seen that as a life-threatening situation or vice versa, um, leading to a full emotional breakdown, not wanting to go to work for the rest of the day because you almost died, you know, dramatizing the whole experience, leading to an excessive stress response for you meanwhile i'm you know elated counting my lucky stars that i just didn't get hit by a car so you can see how the same event can be physiologically experienced in a different way with different people absolutely and i think that that uh probably comes down to 
maybe life experience and your capacity to, to tolerate and deal with those things, but you're absolutely right. It is that perception of the stress. Sometimes that can be neurotransmitter driven as well. Of course. Um, so, you know, sometimes the way that your body interprets things and is able to filter out extraneous information can be um, neurotransmitter regulated, but definitely having that objectivity sometimes about events is so, so important and also thinking about whether or not this will be important to you in, in a certain amount of time. Yeah, and look, um, easier said than done. Into, oh, oh, definitely, and how it fits into that grand scheme of things. I also have found, and maybe this is just anecdotal from the patients that I've seen who have had chronic fatigue syndrome, once they find a sense of purpose, once they find a sense of passion and joy, their symptoms change quite quickly, which is really interesting. Um, so one, and maybe this is all to do with how their system is handling stress as well. And maybe it is just part of them, you know, having that reinvigoration for life as well. But when they do have that sense of passion and purpose, a lot of other things change. That's interesting. I think that it actually fits into this concept of detoxification as well. But funny enough, it's in, it's a, in some essence detoxifying your life. You know, finding the importance, mm -hmm. eliminating the negativity or the toxic uh, things within your environment. So it could be people or events or um, places or, or whatever it is. But this is really that concept of detoxification as well. Detoxifying the mind of of negative thinking processes. Uh, detoxifying the body of the irritants, allergens, and mm -hmm. things that are triggering off um, excessive immune responses. Now, that's a tricky one too because it's not just about detoxification. It's also about repair and rebuilding. And this is where it falls into how you can, um, I guess, rebuild and repair your gut gut health yeah and exactly. so go back to our episodes you know all the conversations we've had with amazing gut gurus um you know jeremy princey kale brock um i think even tyler tolman touched on detoxification pathways there's a lot of our our interviews were actually done on the gut because there's so many people out there exploring this in such depth with such uh, persistence for excellence in understanding the pathways and the issues at stake mm. to heal the gut in itself this is an entire episode because that is really um so much of health starts there. So yeah, yeah, the absolutely. connection between the gut-brain axis and the fact that chronic fatigue is also a brain-based condition as well. You talked about, you know, the exactly what you said, Andy, was the things like the neurotransmitters and our gut-brain axis connections. That's something that's got to be addressed and healing the gut is one of those really important things to do. So, you know, what do you need to do there? Like, how do you know if your gut is uh, potentially an underlying cause of this? Well, firstly, know whether or not you have normal gut function. To do that, probably very worthwhile getting a stool sample or getting a, a, a microbial DNA assessment done so that you can see whether or not your gut microbiota is within uh, what would be considered a normal range for the general population. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, so other things that can that have been shown to be helpful is, yes, exercise, but only things that are energy building. Um, so these may not even be things that we would consider exercise, but I, I guess they're classified as that. And these are things like Tai Chi and Qigong. So movements that are energy building rather than energy draining. And it might even be for, you know, five to 10 minutes 
So really short little intervals of movement and breath with focus and intention that has absolutely been showing and it's very well researched to rebuild energy as well. Um, You don't need to go to any fancy classes for this. You can literally stand in your backyard um, with something on YouTube (laughs) giving you instructions, Um, you know, and if you can get out in nature to do it as well, even better. And don't be mistaken that things like yoga, whilst most of them can be very balancing and calm, there's also the uh, issue that some yoga is not at all, you know, with names like power yoga or hot yoga, they're forms of yoga that put the body under a high level of stress. So definitely. Yeah. yeah. So don't just assume because yoga is in the word that it's going to be balancing, calming and, uh, and nourishing for you. It could actually be more strenuous and stressful than your body can take or need. So, you know, listen to your body. I guess, assess based on the response to the exercise. Are you recovering well within 48 hours? If it's persistent beyond 48 hours, then guess what? Overexertion, dial it back even further. So even if you thought that was an easy form of exercise you could do and you responded poorly to that, then you need to dial it back further. And that's okay because this is all about the rebuilding state that you need to go through first. Um, So absolutely, Andrea, I couldn't agree with you more about the exercise component of just listening to the body. What else yep. can we be doing as well? Because I, I think there's, you know, we're talking about dietary changes to make sure that the gut's in balance. We're talking about the mindset changes, making sure we're, you know, perception of stress and dealing with stress mm-hmm. management tools, learning ways in which we can change our perception to stress um, and support that, I guess, potential connection between mm-hmm. our stress response, cortisol response, cortisol burnout you know, HBA access burnout, um, mm-hmm. which can lead to this. Are there other things? Because I'm thinking like you've got detoxification, dealing with nutritional deficiencies obviously is a big one because any gut stuff is going to lead to potentially nutritional deficiencies. So yes, definitely. You know, supplementing appropriately. Um, some of the big ones obviously will be B vitamins and methylation pathways. That's That's going to be one of the key areas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, things that have been shown to be really helpful for the adrenals is really high doses of vitamin C, mm. um, magnesium, adrenal building and supportive herbs. Um, and these may be different uh, for different people depending on what they can actually tolerate. And I'd want to be testing to see what's going on before you do that anyway. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, your coenzymes can be really great for that, um, you know, mitochondrial activity and support as well, um, glutathione, all of those sorts of things. But with something like chronic fatigue, you want to know what you're actually deficient in rather than just throwing the kitchen sink at it. Um, because this is something where you, this is a condition where you really do need a collaborative approach. And if you've got to the point where you have chronic fatigue syndrome, you just can't play fast and loose with this sort of stuff. And you really need to actually be like addressing the underlying causes. Um, Sleep, I know that this sounds, um, might be counterintuitive because you're be sleeping all day and all night and it won't be refreshing, but that consistent and regular sleep patterns with excellent sleep hygiene um, and potentially supportive herbs to help you to sleep for longer as well might be really important too. Um, and even though you may be waking up unrefreshed, trying to maintain that circadian rhythm has been shown to be beneficial as well. Beautiful. Look, I think that's the the big ones for us for today because this is a complex pathway. We don't uh, propose that we can solve all of the issues regarding uh, your imbalances in, you know, leading to the state of chronic fatigue at this 
uh, podcast, but I, I certainly know that if you haven't considered all these components, then there's areas for you to explore further. There's things you need to do differently to mm-hmm. rebuild your body inside out. There is no amount of drugs or medicine that you can throw at this particular condition to fix you. Um, this is certainly a holistic approach required, and that is mind, body, spiritual uh I guess, rebuilding. And for some people, that's easier than done. Sorry, easier said than done uh, in the sense that some people, they will be able to put a couple of these key things into action and they'll notice dramatic changes. However, the depending on how far into this chronic fatigue state you are, some people might overcome it within six months. Others are taking 12 months. And for really severe situations, it can take over 24 months of consistent and I guess persistent change in your lifestyle and using all the right tools such as supplementation, sleep hygiene practices and uh, mental, emotional, nutritional supports mm-hmm. to really get a big turnaround. So there's no kind of saying, well, look, if you do this within 12 weeks, you'll experience this. That's the really big challenge with uh, this condition. And I think that's probably why most health professionals are, find it incredibly um, well, challenging and frustrating to deal with because as much as we want to help you uh, get better and feel better, it's not always as simple as we'd like it to be. And even when we're providing all of the right um, components of recovery, it doesn't always happen in the same time frame, person to person, which is uh, which is the challenge. And one thing that can be really frustrating for people as well is that they can start to increase their, I guess, uh, metabolic reserves. So in the sense that they might be coming out of that really severe fatigue state, that they might gain a little bit more energy. Uh, it gives them a bit of a false sense of security, and they might try and do a bit more and a bit more. But then they might just tip themselves over the edge and then crash again. So there can be a bit of yo-yoing that happens initially as you're sort of starting to come out of that um, too, which can be frustrating for people. But you know, patience is really key there, and it is a good sign um, when you start to get. Uh, you know, a bit more of that energy building. Okay, ladies. So on that note, um, Dr. Ash and I definitely need to get an early night. So (laughs) to avoid any of this sort of thing afflicting us. Um, So we would love to hear from you. So please make sure that you're communicating with us on our social media uh, mediums. So facebook.com forward slash the wellness women. If you have had chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalopathy, or you've been diagnosed with SEID, we would love to hear from you and we'd love to know what has worked for you? Um, because we know that there's going to be so many other listeners who will benefit from that information as well. So please comment and post it on there for us. Um, you can find us on Instagram as well, the Wellness Women Official. Um, we did take a couple of weeks off from uh, uh, broadcasting to you uh, because we have been running our 28-day hormone reset program um, and that just did uh, take up a bit more of our time than what we were able to podcast for. So ladies, we're so sorry about that. If you did miss this round, don't worry. There will be more and uh, you can still go to the website, thewellnesswomen.com. Um, I think it's forward slash reset or just hit on the uh, the reset button in the top menu bar there. Ladies, make sure you have subscribed to us on iTunes. You're giving us five-star ratings because we love that and it really does help to spread 
uh, the message to other women as well. Oh, and oh, and can I put week. a shout? Oh, before you do, before if you um, are online and you're checking things out, we've actually been nominated in the Australian Podcast Awards, which is really exciting. And uh, oh, cool! I yeah. didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, so that's coming up. So uh, I'll have to have a look at the links and stuff. We'll post that up. But uh, I know there's a voting thing for you know popular votes. I, I don't know uh, whether we can win that with some of the the heavy hitters that we're up against. They're full on commercial enterprises through radio stations. So, <laughs> but hey, we'd love to have a crack at it and uh, we certainly think we're bringing a, you know, a special element to the what they deem the alternative health and wellness segment within their categories so hopefully we can give you more information about that and if you think we're, we're worthy of a vote then we'd love to send you towards the link so in the coming episodes we'll give you a shout and tell you how, how to find us and which way to go because um, even though it's only the Australian Podcasting Awards it's pretty cool we're pretty pretty excited to just even be up there um, in the list which is wonderful so thank you so much for all your support yeah, um, awesome. because they only knew about us because obviously some great people out there have uh, put us forward for different things so thank you oh i'm so grateful for that that is amazing okay ladies we love your work until next week be well this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.